I'm not thinking about. I mean, yeah, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed because we got the fans were awesome. I worked my ass off to get people in here, and we didn't. And that's on me. That's on me. So uh, we're thinking about the race this year. We're thinking, but yeah, we 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 were we're uh, you know obviously we didn't play to our standards, and, and you got to give them credit. But uh, that starts with me. I put that team out there today, and I thought we were uh, we were ready, and we we looked tired in the second half, and. Uh, um, I got to give them credit because I thought they, you know, they made some crucial key baskets in like an eight, a seven, eight minute stretch. They got, they got separation. Well, there was uh, pretty much an apology from uh, Porter Moser last night after the game. Missed opportunity, and as we've been talking about now for two hours, yeah, it, it was a missed opportunity. And there's what you were talking about earlier. You appreciated that from Porter. You just wish that that didn't have to be the case last night, correct, John? Well, yeah, I appreciate him taking accountability, and I appreciate all that stuff. But at some point, you you would appreciate not having to make that apology, right? Yeah. You'd appreciate the fact that we just go out and show up. I mean, I thought he brought his energy. He seemed to be doing his thing on the sideline. And to his point about second-half fatigue, he was subbing guys in and out. He's trying to find it. Just he, trying to find a spark, trying to find something. He was trying something. to find a spark. He was trying to get him to just go hard for two minutes. Like, give me two minutes. You could yeah. kind of see that that's what he was going for. I thought Hughley in the first half, his energy level was high. I was really impressed by just the hustle that that guy was putting in. But in the second half, you could see it, exactly what Coach was talking about. He looked winded. He, he looked, you know, they just didn't look like they had what Texas had. And then, of course, it showed up in the scoreboard, so it was pretty frustrating. Uh, Bob Stoops last night on what Porter said. He said, hashtag Sooners keep supporting this guy, program, and team. It will keep turning in a positive way. I'm going to keep coming. So that's what uh, Bob Stoops had to say about it last night. He'll uh, keep attending the home games on Saturday. And you got another one coming up on Saturday against uh, Texas Tech, 25th ranked, or they're at least in the top 25, Texas Tech. Um, okay, so what's everyone's concern level right now? And I'm not saying that you necessarily have to be concerned. I'm just asking. One, you're not concerned whatsoever. They'll get it. They'll get back. Ten, you are very, very concerned that this loss is going to lead to a lot more losses here moving forward. And Travis, as the as the text roll in four zero five six five one thirty four thirty nine, where would you put your concern level right now for this team on a uh, on a one to ten scale? I would put it about a four. Um, I think, again, last night, Godwin didn't have his stuff. Uh, it was not a good matchup for him. You mentioned Hughley, uh, you know, coming out with high energy in the first half. He's just, he's just not in the shape to play 20 minutes in the second. It got away from us after, uh, Rivaldo Suarez missed that, uh, third free throw, right? That would have tied it at 55 55 after, after Texas, um, went up with a three of their own. And then they went on a 10-0 run from there, and it was just the body blow that we couldn't handle. So um, I think this was a night where the other team made what felt like all their shots, and we missed what felt like all our shots. So I'm not highly concerned. It it really matters what the rest of the season plays out like. 539 just says somebody needs to be fired. So that's that's where some on the text line are at. They're not talking about us. Yeah, well, top top 15 team uh, still. They can get it right on Saturday. I I think to draw people back in like they were last night, John, uh, you know how it is. It's going to take some time. People are still going to watch the game on Saturday. It won't be the crowd that they had last night. 1 o'clock on Saturday still won't be 6 p.m. on a Tuesday night what it was last night. I think people will still watch 
But there's some wins that are going to have to be piled up to get the excitement level back to where it was last night. Maybe a big-time win along the way. But what's your overall concern level right now moving forward uh, after last night? I mean, I'm, I'm at a six. I'm at a six bordering on a seven. And I, I don't I, – you, you've, you've had me on this show a lot. Uh-huh. And you've been on – when I've been on with Toby in the morning a lot. And I'm usually Mr. Positive, Right. And again, I am rooting for Porter Mosier. I like what the dude's about. I think he's done a great job in the in the transfer portal this year. Um, I, I'm all in on that. But I take a look at his last two years. We were ten and four non-conference last year, five and thirteen in conference. We were excited after ten and four this year, or the year before that, twenty one, twenty two. We were twelve and five in the non-conference, and then we ended up going seven eleven in conference and missing out. I. I hate to see – we can't afford to lose games at home. We keep saying that it's Texas, and, that, of course, that sucks. But, dude, a home loss in the Big 12 is no bueno, dude, because it is so hard to win on the road and get that loss back, right, and get a loss replaced um, in, the, uh, in the balance sheet. And so I, I am concerned. I'm at a six border and not a seven, and maybe it's because I'm snake bit. I hope that's what it is. Hopefully this team is not the same team from the last two years. I don't think it is, but I'm worried about it. Kendall says, I'm at a one. They'll bounce back. Sometimes it's not your night. And that's hopefully that's how we look back right. at that I night and right. say, God, that wasn't our night. That was a bad night to have a bad night against Texas. Great opportunity. But here, I, I just looked at the ESPN BPI, and that is not an exact science. It's not. OU was favored to win last night on the BPI. They didn't lose. I mean, they didn't win. They were favored to lose at Cincinnati on Saturday. They actually won that game. So the BPI has been wrong on OU the past two times that they played a game. But here's what the BPI has, Travis, for OU's next date. They have a 63.4% chance to beat Tech on Saturday. All right? Then at Kansas State a week from Saturday, or excuse me, next week, they have a 42.3% chance to win in Manhattan. So chalk that up as most likely to lose, according to BPI. Okay, so one and one. 33.9 at UCF, 52.9 against BYU at home, 87.5 against Oklahoma State at home, Jinx. 23.3 at Baylor, 54.8% against KU at home to win that game. Wow. And then at Oklahoma State, a nice 69.7% chance. So... They're saying a bounce back. They're saying six and two over the next eight games. They're saying five and three in the next eight games oh, with losses at K State, at UCF, and at Baylor okay. over uh, the next eight. So look, I'm not Travis. I'm not counting on ESPN's BPI to be right on all eight games. They've been wrong on the last two. But if you can win five of your next eight, and that will get you to what eight and five in conference play, and that'll get you to twenty and six overall. You're, you're sitting in a pretty good spot at that point, eight and five in league play. You're absolutely making the tournament, and we're probably talking about a five or a six seed at that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like if you were just give me that op- option now, and and accept the ESPN BPI metrics as the win loss. I'm I'm hitting the deal button, Tyler. As as am I. Yes. I'm hitting the deal button, and 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 it's three top twenty five wins in there. Yeah, exactly. And and we talk about the gauntlet of the Big 12. It's a gauntlet, but man, it's a hell of a lot of opportunity, right? Like you have you it's it's kind of like 
it's kind of like the bowl pick'em that we do at the station, right? Like the you still have a lot of really high confidence games on the schedule left, and if you get those right, you can really shoot up the rankings, man. If you if you get a couple of those wins, then you are right up there still. So um, I think what's important to remember, I keep on bringing up uh, Hughley not being uh, maybe conditioned to play the the. The, the 20 minutes in the second half, I want to I want to give some context to that. So, Hughley coming out of high school was 6'8", 220. He had a great freshman year at Pitt, and I think he was like an all-ACC, maybe like a all-ACC honorable mention, something like that. Like, he was good. Like, 15 points, 8 boards, something like that. Well, he then had a, had a knee injury. He only played 8 games last year. Like, only played 8 games. He's 275 coming into this season. So he's a big body. We see that. At times, I think he still plays like he thinks he has that smaller body. You see him going up, you know, with floaters sometimes. You see him trying to get a little acrobatic at times. He goes hard to the rim. A couple of those drives, he was, he was coming with some intensity, some ferocity to the rim. And when, when people are saying, I, I, I saw a text message that was, Talking about our strength and conditioning program, I don't think John Hughley. It's it's that OU strength and conditioning program isn't handling Hughley well. I think it's just that's just the nature of him only playing, you know, eight games um, in a season um, for Capel under Pitt, and then you know having that extra weight on, trying to work with it. Stuff like that. Like I, those are more extenuating circumstances than just oh he's not running enough sprints. I do see at times too, John, that you know you just you don't have the most depth in the post in the conference. Not as much depth as you would want. Now you like Hughley, uh, Hughley as a player. Um, you, you, you like what you you have there, but it just seems like OU's in foul trouble um, in the paint quite a bit, especially early on in games. So last night, didn't Godwin pick up two pretty quick fouls in that game? Yes. And and I know that he's undersized in some of those matchups, but. I think it's obvious here moving forward, and we've been saying this for a while, the, the guard play that this team has, um, it, it wasn't good last night shooting the ball, but it's still pretty good, capable of things. Got to get better, got to get deeper in the in the post here, even moving forward to the SEC. Well, yeah, because you look at Texas, um, they had Disu, they had... Uh... Swan follow-through because he sits in that chair. Yeah, God. exactly. Did you guys hear about Brand that from Fran Fraschilla last oh, night? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, yeah. They had Disu, and then... Who was their other big guy? Oh, that guy might be a first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, that. Guy, that so they got those two dudes, plus they pulled off, like, number – At least I think I, I've seen that he's projected to, to, to be that next year. It wasn't Sh- Shedrick, was it? No, you were talking about uh, – you are talking about Mitchell, Dylan Mitchell. That's right. Oh, number 23? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, my point – yeah, to your point, you see the depth on the – but we've always been that way at Oklahoma. We're rarely – we rarely got that guy. What really hurt us yesterday was guard play. Um, you, you don't expect Yuzon and McCollum to, to score single digits. And they both well, were seven, seven for 23. You can't have that out of those no, two. No, and you don't expect it, right? I mean, that, that was unexpected. So based on prior performance, you would anticipate that they have better shooting nights um, and that they make some things happen. On that offensive end, though, what was concerning and what I think contributed to the seven for 23 – was they just didn't have a lot of motion in that offense. Stagnant, it seemed, man. It seemed a lot of iso ball, which doesn't seem to be Porter Mosier's style, so I, I don't know what changed. I don't know if 
in the second half, it was a conditioning issue. So because they were tired, they weren't moving as much as normal. Or if they thought they could take him one-on-one, it was just really weird to see because you're just not used to seeing that. Yeah, and I'll go back to something Travis said last hour, and I, I think it's a fair point. It, you know, this team in transition is good, but it's hard to get transition. Like, Texas was just hitting shots, man. You just felt like they were hitting shot after shot after shot, and you're forced a lot more into the half-court sets where they weren't great last night when Texas is making so many baskets and you can't get out and run. I mean, that's that's the, the gist of it, correct, Travis? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's it it's proven out by the first half, right? When did when did we tie it up? When did we take the lead? It's when Jalen Moore was getting in transition. It's when you know Oway was getting in transition. It's when McCullum was getting in transition. It, like the transition is everything, and you get that confidence and you start really suffocating them. Yeah, once once you're once you're not creating those turnovers and you're getting out rebounded as bad as we did, I think we got rebounded out rebounded by what sixteen, something like that. Which I mean, it was a which is only the third time, only the third time all year we've been out rebounded, right? Right. I would, I would argue that's probably. I haven't looked it up, but that has to be the worst rebounding discrepancy yeah, or efficiency that we've had. So with that, it's if you're if you're not getting stops and getting out in transition, you're not creating that easy offense that you feasted on really in the first half, and. What makes matters even worse is the long rebounds that you can then make into transition. Texas is getting them. So it, it went from bad to worse quickly. Well, and to, just to pile on to that stat, the, the, the stat deluge, which went against us, I think we had two second-chance points, like two, with all the shots we missed. Well, I keep talking about turnovers with this team, and they actually committed less turnovers than Texas well, last night. I think they had more. Did they have more points off turnovers last night as well? Yes. So in, in, in that category, it's like, okay, for the first time in a while, you had less turnovers and you had more points off turnovers, but... Like this text from Spartan Sooner says, I felt like our three-point D was atrocious. Defense was not great down the stretch. I mean, in Texas hit some really tough shots for sure, but I think Porter even said after defense just wasn't it that wasn't necessarily where it needed to be last night. So it, it's just frustrating to finally win that category that I keep bringing up and then still lose the game by 15 points because everything else was so bad. Just just a side note, just to take our minds off the loss just for a second hmm. how big of a flex is it for greg sankey to show up at a ou texas game while they're still members of the big 12 and everyone's like here's greg sankey at the arena like i who, whoever uh, at any time the pac-12 commissioner or the big 10 commit like it, could any other commissioner get that much recognition oh. like you, you know what i mean like it was a big deal that well i just there. thought it was fascinating that we're still not members yet and i mean i guess it's fine it makes sense i you know the two schools coming through but I just thought that was a, a interesting look. Is he the most most powerful person in college f- sports right now? Uh, Nick Saban could be if he wants to be, but yeah, well, he and Sankey. As far as well, yeah, well, it's uh, it's actually and Jimmy Roll Sexton. Tide Willie as well. Sexton, <laughs> number three. It's actually yeah. Jimmy Sexton, but uh, he he decides who coaches where. But um, I think with that, I don't know what our record is the last two years across all sports with the commissioner present, but. As far as I'm concerned, keep the commissioners, I don't care what conference they're in, away from us. Sankey comes and watches. We play like crap. Every time we play in front of your mark, we play like crap. Like, keep the commissioners away from us. But I think with, you know, kind of putting a bow on that, kind of, you know, the turnovers and the defense, like, you know how often in basketball you see a guy make a great play on defense and then 
they go to him and he makes a big shot or something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's so much confidence that's built with making shots, and it amps you up, right? So I think that's really where we fell off the cliff halfway through the second half. Of course, we retired, but after seeing so many clean looks rattle out, whether they're around the rim or they're jump shots, you just start to lose that confidence, and I think it's just human nature. I think Dion Waiters is the only one that can put up 30 shots, not make one, and still just go go along with life as if it's happening. But it's like I think that's a real thing that happened last night. I think you saw one team make it, one team not, and they just couldn't get that confidence built back up. Travis, to your point, though, I think about it even in the first half where Hughley was just working his tail off on defense. I think he might have even had a block. They get the ball. They go down to the offensive end. He sets a screen. I want to say it was for McCollum and rolls, and he's wide open. And you just think to yourself, man, reward that big guy, right? Get that energy level up. Let him get going. Feed him. He just worked his tail off on one end, and yet we just couldn't quite make that play, right? We just stayed in that iso ball situation. We end up taking a bad three, and – it just goes to the other end. It, it, I, I know exactly what you're saying, and I saw it all night long. Let me uh, let me hit a few texts here before we hit a break. KW the nine one eight says it wasn't a flex. He wanted to show up to see if the LNC indeed would be the worst arena in the SEC. Check that box. He said, um, Asmus was the best guard out there. Says Big Rich in OKC. We're a softball and gymnastics school now, says a texture in the 580. Sean says five more wins secures the tournament with an 8 and 10 in league play. And with as much Ooh. respect as this league gets right now, 10 in the NCAA tournament, according to Bracketology, that doesn't count Texas. Yes. And, and look, the SEC will definitely be an easier conference than the Big 12. There's not the depth in the SEC like there is in the Big 12. But I was looking at the rankings just now. Tennessee's the number five team. Kentucky's the number sixteen. Auburn's the number eighteen. So still at the top, they're still pretty good, man. They got three of the top eight in the SEC, and I think Arkansas will be better here moving forward. Um, we'll uh, it it, it, and, it, it won't be a walk in the park in the SEC. It'll be easier in the Big Twelve, but it's and, not just well, a walk but, in the park. Like what we talk about in football all the time, they're adding Oklahoma and Texas in the mix too. Yeah. So two two ranked teams are being added to the mix of the SEC. It's not going to be an easy by any stretch. All right, let's hit some OU football coming up next, live from Brown O'Haver, where you do not have to accept what the insurance company has offered you. If you've experienced a loss from fire, theft, tornado, or water, you need to call Brown O'Haver at 405-735-5510. That's 405-735-5510. John will tell us more about Brown O'Haver on the other side. Keep it locked on the ref. We're the homeless suitor fans. It is the rush on the refs, Tyler McComas, Travis Davidson, John Whitson of Brown O'Haver, and the Boomer Bevo podcast joins us today live from Brown O'Haver. Brown O'Haver has stats. They got stats to back up everything that they can do for clients, and I'm sure you have another testimonial right in front of you that proves just that with some, with some numbers. Well, I've got stats, and I've got a testimonial, and then I also have a public service announcement for mm. the public out there, so I'll get to that in just a second. We had a client in Shawnee that had storm damage. Um, from the tornado in April of 2023, or not, there was just storm damage in April of 2023. Uh, they had gotten $28,500. They hired us, and we were able to document and prove that the shop roof had hail damage, and we increased the claim by an additional $21,000. Wow. Again, just normal things that happen yeah. throughout the time. And y'all know I've got crazy stats, but sometimes I feel the need to just throw out normal things that happen to people. Hail loss, you don't get it paid, you call us, we get it paid. 
Very simple. 405-735-5510. What's this bill trying to... Yes. Well, I mean, what's this about? The PSA, public service announcement. There is a... Um, a House representative, and we love our House representatives, but there's a House representative out of the Tulsa area who introduced a bill to limit consumers' abilities um, to interact and engage with public insurance adjusters on the basis that the insurance company was having to pay out too much money. <laughs> so let me, really? Interesting. So let me throw that out there. There is a bill out there because public adjusters make insurance companies pay too much money. And apparently that is not fair to all of the insurance companies that make millions and billions of dollars every year. And yes, as I'm saying it out loud, it sounds crazy to me. And I'm sure as you're hearing it, it sounds crazy to me, to you out there. But just keep in mind that this is how our world works sometimes. And when lawmakers, the only thing in their ear is insurance companies and how much money that they're not getting to make, uh, it just you know, causes them to do odd things. I'm sure he doesn't mean it. I'm sure when he rethinks it, it's going to matter. That being said, if you could reach out, it's House Bill 3094, 3094. This impacts consumers everywhere when it comes to the adjustment of insurance claims. If you've heard me on the radio and you, and you believe that consumers should have the opportunity to handle a claim to their full, you know, advantage based on what the decisions they want to make, please call your local representative or send a note to the House Committee Chair for Insurance, Chris Sneed. The bill is currently in front of his committee. This is House Bill 3094. If you've got any questions at all, check out our Facebook page at Brown O'Haver. We've got all the information there. We tell you who to contact. Um, and, and literally, it's a bill put forth from insurance companies because they have to pay out too much money. It's Tyler. It blows my mind. Sure. The, the hypocrisy just in saying that out loud blows my mind. So please take a look at that information. Again, it's on our Facebook page. It's House Bill 3094. Reach out to your local representative or to Representative Chris Need, chairman for the insurance committee. And call Brown O'Haver as well, 405-735-5510. College football news today. Arizona transfer Jaden Delora has withdrawn his name from Texas State. So he was in Arizona. He's going to be a starter last year at Arizona. A lot of hype for him going into the year. And then Noah Fafita ends up taking over. Jaden Delora going to Texas State. Now he's withdrawn from there. We had a text earlier saying, well, could OU get Jaden Delora for quarterback depth? Uh, Jaden Delora is going to go to a place where he can start, and we've talked about the numbers anyway. I, I just, I don't think anyone's going to be running to the OU quarterback situation if they've got options elsewhere. And he was going to Texas State, so it's not like Alabama was knocking on his door or anything like that. But uh, OU's already good where, where they're at numbers-wise at quarterback. They got Jackson Arnold, so they'll be uh, they'll be fine there. But Travis, Teddy, and I were um, kicking this around yesterday way too early. Who's the leading receiver and who's the leading rusher for next year? I think the leading receiver is a more interesting debate than maybe who the leading rusher is next year. I really factored in three names in the discussion. Who are you factoring in on January 24th as OU's leading receiver next year, and who do you think eventually wins that uh, wins that spot? Um, let's see. I'm I'm going to go Andrew Anthony simply due to the fact that. He arrived in Norman and immediately became the leading receiver and before he got hurt. Um, other than that, 
Man, it, it feels like we, it feels like we could be entering a situation where Andrew Anthony leads the team in receiving yards, but like Nick Anderson leads it in touchdowns. Yeah, and then Deion Burks leads it in receiving yards, <laughs> or, or or maybe catches. Like you, know, like you have yeah, three different leaders for three different categories. Yeah, seriously. Like I like I, I legitimately think that could be the case. I think I think I think you've got a deep and talented wide receiver core. I think you've got a really versatile wide receiver core. I think you got speed. You've obviously got size. And Tyler, I think what what may matter most. Oh, well, I'll say two things. One, Emmett Jones in one year made massive strides with with the play of the wide receivers. So in the second year with him, with most of them, I know Deion Burks is coming in new, but I expect them to be even better. Second. I think getting on the same page with Jackson and making some of those deep ball throws actually, you know, that they don't have to pull up for perhaps. Like, and Dylan was wildly productive here. I don't want to take it away from him, but I mean, we saw it in the, we saw it in the bowl game. Jackson's got a cannon. So I think that's going to open up a lot more opportunities down the field for guys like Deion Burks and Brennan Thompson and guys like Andrew Anthony and stuff like that. Um, so yesterday, John, I, I factored in three names to this discussion, and, and three names only. I didn't put Jalil Farouk in there. I didn't put Gavin Freeman in there. I said Andrew Anthony, Nick Anderson, Deion Burks, my three. I think Deion Burks is going to be the leading receiver next year because of the position that I think that he's going to play, that inside, uh, with a young quarterback. Maybe he wants to lock in to someone who's close to the line of scrimmage. I think he's explosive after the catch like we saw at Purdue. So I say it's Deion Burks, and someone asked for a wild card, and I went with Brennan Thompson as the wild card just because I think that, and Travis and I are talking like Andrew Anthony leads in one category, Nick Anderson leads in another, Deion Burks leads in another. I think that if he's available next year and he stays healthy, that Brennan Thompson could lead in yards per catch next year. Well, I don't. Well, that's what I was going to say. I, I think it's absolutely Brennan Thompson, and I don't know what the category that he fits in. But he, I, I, I really hope he leads in average yards per target because if you look at what he was able to accomplish, it seems like every time he was targeted, it was a 40-yard play, a 60-yard touchdown, or pass interference. Like, every time. Now, those might only be two a game, but those two a game are really, really effective. Um, according to my friend Kevin who is the co-host of the Boomer Bebo podcast, when Brennan Thompson was at Texas, what was keeping him from getting on the field was his route running, that he's not the route runner that some of these other guys are. I just uh, need him to run straight. But we, that's exactly my point, is we've got Andrew Anthony. We've got Burks. We've got, you know, we've got those guys that do that. Um, if we can take advantage of Jackson Arnold's arm and give him some position, give Brennan Thompson, put him in positions to take the top off, I think that it's going to be a pretty exciting offense. And and don't forget, you know, Joe John's going to have a bigger influence on the offense as well as Latrell, who kind of comes from that H-back perspective. I think you're going to see uh, the tight end have a much bigger impact on the receiving game, which is going to help the rest of the receiving game, right? Especially guys like Brendan Thompson being able to go deep. Who has the highest ceiling, though, out of anybody that they have at, at wide receiver, Travis? Like, if, if everyone is at their best next year, they hit their true potential, is it still Nick Anderson who has the highest ceiling out of everyone? Man, it's either him or a name that 
really we haven't been after is Jaden Gibson. I mean, when you talk just physical tools, I mean, obviously Brennan Thompson's got the speed, but when when you look at guys that play on Sundays, like who's who's the most likely to be like a eventual first round pick guy? Man, it's hard to say anybody but Nick Anderson, but I do think Jaden Gibson's combination of size, which is elite, like top 1% size, speed, I mean, the guy runs like a deer, and his hands. He really showed off his hands last year because, you know, freshman year, everybody got excited about him. He had the spring game touchdown. Uh, like, it was what it was, but he really made tough catch after tough catch. His first three catches of the year last year were all, like, sports center top ten catches. Like, it was incredible. Know, yeah. So as far as I- that goes, like, ceiling-wise – Man, those two are gonna be are, are really hard to beat. I would just like them to give Jaden Gibson more opportunities down the field. I just <laughs> because John, you're saying, well, every time they're throwing Brennan Thompson the ball, this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. I can say that about Jaden Gibson too for most of the year. Yeah, you can, but uh, dude, I don't know. I want more. I want more touches to Nick Anderson. The guy's so good, guys. I mean, you talk about being an NFL receiver. It's it's Nick Anderson. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the hands. He's got the toughness. He's got the route running. He's got the physicality. Seems like he makes good decisions. I like Nick Anderson. I, I hear what we're saying about Jaden Gibson, and that's fine. And Brennan Thompson. Let me be very clear. Yes, good things happen when they throw to him. I'm thinking about two or three times a game. Right? Sure. Yeah. Take the top. Absolutely. Off. Not, he's not. Nick Anderson is that guy. Nick Anderson, given the right amount of targets, could be a a first-team SEC, given the right amount of targets. Boy, it's just a a whole new league. And and we don't know all the players, and I don't know all those guys. But, man, he's A lot more teams, too. It's going to be more difficult to make it all. But he's really, really, really good. No, he is. He's really, really, really good, and he's a starter. Needs to be more consistent. Would you say this? He's a starter on any team in the SEC? Is there any team on the SEC that Nick Anderson's not a starter on? Um, boy, Alabama's lost quite a bit, so I would probably you got no, Georgia I mean, or Texas. You got Georgia and Texas, and yeah. I think he starts over those okay, guys in Texas. Like without like really going into a fifteen minute conversation about it, he he probably start. He's not the number one on every single team, but he's I think he's a two or a three on every team in the SEC at least. I think he's really good. Maybe I'm thinking too high on it. No, I, I think, think he's, he's really good too. I think Travis thinks he's really good. I I'd like it to see him be like a little bit more. It sounds consistent. like y'all don't it's like a, Nick Anderson. I love Nick. What Anderson. it sounds like to me is y'all think Nick Anderson sucks, and I love Nick. Anderson. I'm uh, I'm Rodney Anderson. Uh, the the reaction when he scores touchdowns, or at least I was when he caught the game winner against Texas. Only, I can assure you that. The problem is every time I see Rodney Anderson, I think, why didn't we give it to him on fourth and one? Yeah, yeah. Every single time it's triggering. Yeah, it is triggering. All right, we'll get some text coming up next. 405-651-3439. More OU football as well right here on The Ref. To the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line we go. It is the rush on The Ref. Tyler McComas, Travis Davidson, John Whitson live from Brown O'Haver in Moore. Sam and Edmund says, hot take. Jaden Gibson's hands were the best on the team. Anderson had several drops in crucial moments. Anderson will improve, though, and I agree could be first-rounder. Um, I thought Drake Stoops' hands were maybe the best on the team last year. Would uh, anyone disagree with that or like to take Sam's side that it was uh, Jaden Gibson's last Drake year? Stoops. Drake Stoops. Travis, what I do mean, you think? I mean, I don't want to hang Sam out to dry here. Mm. I mean, it's it, as far as true, like, crazy Moss-type highlight catches, if you're equating those to hands – 
I'm going to Sam with this one. Just, just, I mean, big plays, they're different, right? I mean, you know, on the sideline type, getting your feet in. Yeah, I mean, Stoops is is a precise route runner. He's a better route runner, at least at this stage of his career, for obvious reasons and understandable reasons than Jaden Gibson. But as far as getting up, securing a ball through a defender, all that, I think that if we just put the tape side by side and said, what are your four or five craziest catches on the year, I think that Jaden Gibson gets the nod. All of these are wrong. Real, real it's, quick, it's, it's, it's Ethan Downs who has the best hands on the team, as we saw against BYU, <laughs> which was that. called back. Shame. Go, what's up? I Go was ahead. just going to say by Travis's argument, though, that would make DJ Graham have the best team, best hands on the team a couple of years ago. And we, I mean, it's not the consistent best hands on the team were students. Well, it's just, there are it's a lot easy. of people that would say that he had the best hands on the team. I mean, it's, if it's just a hands argument and it's, it's not best route running, best, you know, you know, who's your go-to on third down? And it's just pull up the four or five craziest catches. Like, four or five. That's pretty consistent. Four or five that were just highlight real stuff. I, f- I feel like Jaden Gibson was up there, man. UPS Boomer says, did Andrew Anthony have any drops? Man. Um, I don't remember it. I, I mean, he played in, what, six games last year? I, I I can't remember a specific drop that Andrew Anthony had I, last I don't, year. I don't remember drops, Tyler, but I remember our def, our offense and our passing game feeling noticeably different after he left. Right? It talking about Kansas, it. Oklahoma State, some of the UCF. But I you mean, know who had the best game of maybe their career right after he got hurt in the same game? It was like, oh, Farouk really kind of stepped up there in oh, that game and it thought yeah. he was about to take off, yeah, and that, that didn't happen. No, no, to have Andrew, and, and I don't know the severity of his knee injury. I, I'm really hoping it's not one of those that takes a full year to get him back. You know, sometimes that, that's how that works. You saw it with uh, the running back out of Dallas. Um, yeah, I'm losing my brain here. Bob Pollard. Right, Tony Pollard. Yeah, yes. Tony Pollard. I tried to blank out on the Cowboys. Yeah, I know, but but you know, it it took him to the back half of the year to kind of get going. I hope that's not what we see with Andrew Anthony. I hope he's hitting it, you know, all gas on on week one because I I really you could noticeably see the balance with which we were able to attack teams diminish when he was not on the field in the back half of that season. Four oh five says comparison of JFA to Josh Allen arm strength. For long balls to Brennan Thompson. There, there's you take, Travis. Comparison well, there, of JFA to Josh Allen arm strength. That's, that's nice. There were some comparisons. I forget who did it. I mean, it's not the dumb Rex Grossman comparison that we always make fun of. Or but Taylor some, Heineke. Yeah, somebody <laughs> had, had compared. Maybe he was saying he was farther along than where, like, Josh Allen was at, at that time during high school, which I don't think is that crazy to argue. But, I mean, he's got an absolute cannon. And we talked about it all season, Tyler. We said, look, Jackson Arnold has a five-star arm. Like, it, the ball just looks different. That's a cliche, but everybody agrees with it. It looks different off the hand. Once he dials in his decision-making, which Dylan Gabriel obviously was ahead of him in, being in the system for so long, once he dials in his decision-making and we see all of Jackson Arnold's arm strength kind of harnessed and put exactly to the use that it is uh, uh, that it is meant for, then, yeah, I don't think that's a crazy comparison. Yeah, the, the, the downfield passing game, like it, it was – 
People complained about it with Dylan Gabriel. D- Dylan Gabriel was was fine last year. I mean, he was first team All Big Twelve. But will more throws down the field be opened up now with Jackson Arnold? He, he's got more arm strength, so maybe your chances of completing the deep ball to Brennan Thompson are a little bit higher. I, well, I would I mean, say it are, probably is. You already saw it. In, you already saw it in the Arizona game that they're more willing to let him to let him sling it a little bit. Um, Boy, they were willing to let him sling were, it right and, out of the yeah, gates. And you're talking about a comparison with Josh Allen. I, I thought he was going to go with interceptions and not arm strength. <laughs> but at the same time, I do agree with uh, Travis. If we if he can dial in the decision-making, just take a little less risk, and not a lot less risk. I want him to be, play his game, but just a little less risk. And to be fair to him, his interceptions were not nearly as costly in that game as Farouk's turnovers. They, it just wasn't even the same – Farouk took 14, almost 21 points. Well, you're going to go up by, what, three scores with that last uh, turnover that you had? Yeah. I mean, that was a 14-point swing on its own. It was correct? a 14-point yeah. swing, well, and then he had an interception in the red zone. So, I mean, a fumble in the red zone. So, the, 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 those were different. Uh, I'm excited. You talk about arm strength. You talk about these receivers. This passing game is going to be um, it's going to be big time, and, and I think this year we're going to have a chance to see it. Yeah, and I think on the decision-making stuff, like – I think a lot of it is, yeah, where to throw it, when to throw it, what type of throw, but also when to hand it off. Like, so often, like, Arizona was just giving one look pre-snap and then would shift into something else because he would say, okay, I'm supposed to throw this ball because, you know, they're stacking the box. And then they drop out of it, and he wouldn't adjust, you know, in any way or, or, or change up, you know, like, he decided when the ball was snapped what he was going to do a lot of the times. A couple of those plays that he threw interceptions on, if he just hands the ball off there, I mean, you've got you, you've got holes blocked up. So, well, even uh, the mainly, touchdown pass to Nick Anderson, if he, I think it was Salchuk, if he just hands it off, it's an easy walk-in yeah, touchdown. Exactly. Like So stuff like that, like, I think he's going to make better decisions with the ball specifically as far as how to throw it, when to throw it. Obviously, that interception down the right sideline is the – how to throw a when to throw it type of that part of that conversation, but the when to just not throw it at all and either take off yourself or hand it off to the running back. I think those decisions are equally as valuable. Brown O'Haver, where they routinely get clients 30 to 40% more money over than doing it on their own. Brown O'Haver not only helps you on your personal property, but it also helps businesses as well. 405-735-5510. That's 405-735-5510. 5510, we'll hit more OU football and some text coming up next right here on The Ref. Central Oklahoma Buick GMC dealers bringing you the sour of the rush. Tyler McComas, Travis Davidson, John Whitson, live from Brown O'Haver. More and more coming out about the Jim Harbaugh situation. Apparently, as he continues to negotiate with the Chargers, Michigan is now willing to grant immunity for the NCAA violations that may be thrown on the Michigan football program. Uh, he wants full control, uh, either at Michigan or the L.A. Chargers. Apparently, that's the holdup in L.A. He wants full control, and ownership in L.A. has been hesitant to give him complete personnel power, which is why the sides have yet to come to an agreement. So I still think he'll be in the NFL, Travis, but he's got exactly what he wants. He doesn't have the personnel power, but he's got – Interviews with the Chargers, interviews with the Falcons, and apparently Michigan's now saying, all right, we'll grant you immunity when we give you a $12 million deal. Yeah, I mean, he's got a good man. Like, he, he's kind of got his pick right now. Mm. Uh, I, again, I still think he ends up in the NFL. 
he can right now, like he's making the type of request that a guy who's got all the leverage has, right? Yep. I mean, as you should. Right. I mean, he'd be silly not to ask for, you know, ask for uh, everything possible, even get creative, start asking for stuff that nobody's asked for before. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's doing what any guy in that position probably should do, Tyler. Uh, were you bummed about Baker on uh, Sunday? Their yes. job? I think he gets a new deal in Tampa. He gets a new deal in Tampa. He's earned it. He's he's a top 15 quarterback. I mean, he might be 13, 14, or 15, but he's a top 15 quarterback. Quarterbacks are hard to find. He had better stats than Jalen Hurts. He's a good quarterback. And, yeah, he's gonna if he doesn't get into Tampa, he'll get it somewhere. But I think he gets it in Tampa. If they can boost their running game, they could make another run. If that division's terrible. Gunner from Grove says, do you guys think Petaway will factor in at all next season? I think he's absolutely going to be in the mix, but we just easily rattled off four names that we expect to be a big part of the offense next year. So, like, I, I think he's got talent. I, I don't think that that's the issue for him. It's just it's going to come down to a numbers game at some point, and I will, is, is I he will, going to be able to surpass any of those three names that we talked about last I will, segment? I will say this. If I see Cav, Gavin Freeman and I don't see Petaway, I'm going to wonder what the <laughs> heck is happening. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you and you a talk, lot of people. You talked about it last year. We even in that, even in a clustered room last year where you had Stoops in there, you still saw a lot of Freeman and Petaway, even after looking really good in the opener, didn't really get a lot of chances. Didn't get a lot of run, man. Didn't get a lot of run. But uh, I, I think the, the main three that we talked about, Dion Burks, Nick Anderson, Andrew Lanthony are probably your main three. And we'll see if a guy like Petaway can uh, surpass someone in that top three or be the number four receiver or find a role within the offense. And, a lot of that could depend on how good the tight end position is next year as well. A lot of factors there. Final hour of the rush coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref.